Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to a special edition of the Daily Hammer, an emergent Daily Hammer Emergency Podcast, the first one that we've done of the 2023-2024 MLB offseason. And it's reacting to a bit of a late night uh occurrence. I believe that I saw it on Twitter, Anthopolis After Dark. Well, that's exactly what it was. And for these emergency podcasts, I always enjoy being able to talk with one of my fellow members of the Battery Power Podcast Network. And this time, Scott Coleman has been kind enough to join me. Scott, how are you doing, sir? Hey, Sean. I'm doing really well in very much Battery Power Podcast fashion. Uh, last night, Chris and Steven on the podcast to be named later recorded a show, went more than an hour talking all things off season and what happens, but maybe not even two hours after that podcast goes live to the world, we get this six player deal. So very on brand longtime listeners know the podcast has over the years been published. And then just seemingly within hours later, a big deal goes down and that happened last night, but a lot of things to dig into. It's not every day. You get a six-player trade, especially when the Braves are sending five players the other way, and a lot of layers and things to chat about. Absolutely, and and it's a bit of a unique deal in terms of you know the names that are involved on the Braves side and the return that they got, and we'll get right into it as. Uh, Scott mentioned, you know, last night there currently is the latest uh, uh, podcast to be named later episode out with Chris um, Willis and Stephen Tolbert. They recapped, obviously, Ronald Acuna Jr. winning MVP. I know Scott and Brad will have more thoughts about that on the Battery Power Podcast Network later this weekend. But right, but they also talked about some potential moves that the Braves could make. And again, right after the podcast. The Braves did make what is a you know pretty significant one. The Braves traded Jared uh, pitcher Jared Schuster, infielder Nicky Lopez, infielder Braden Shoemake, minor league right-handed pitcher Riley Goins, and of course longtime fan favorite right-hander Michael Soroka. Those five players to the Chicago White Sox for reliever Aaron Bummer. Now Scott, obviously with this, there's shock factor. There is a lot of different perspectives we'll get into about this deal, but let's first look at that shock factor, this five-for-one deal, some names that Braves fans have known for a while, some names that at times have been top prospects, and then, of course, Michael Soroka with his story that we've all seen and you know all been following for years. Just let's first look at that shock factor. How surprised were you? What was your initial reaction to just all the names that were involved in the Braves side of the deal? I think the name value probably supersedes the actual amount of major league ready or major league healthy talent that's going the other way. Anytime Michael Soroka is involved, naturally it pulls on your heartstrings. We are all rooting for Mike trying to come back from the double Achilles tear. 
And, you know, at this point, it's been four years since he has really pitched in the major leagues at a regular basis. And the fact was, if you believe the reporting, and I do around the non-tender deadline, that is this evening on Friday, it, it seemed very, very likely that Michael Soroka, who is out of minor league options, was going to be non-tendered, which would have made him a free agent. It also sounds like Nicky Lopez, who I think I was probably most surprised was included. I thought the Braves were going to tender him a contract for about $4 million in arbitration. Uh, but Mark Bowman of MLB.com believed that the Braves were going to non-tender Lopez as well, especially because he was rarely going to play in the infield short of an injury. So if you think about it like that, the fact that the Braves were less than 24 hours away from more than likely non-tendering Soroka and Lopez, and then you add in a couple of 40-man guys with Shoemake and Schuster, I am of the personal belief that neither of them are major leaguers. They are both in their mid-20s at this point. Shoemake, while pretty good defensively, I mean, he has just never hit at the minor league level. He had a 700 OPS this past year in Gwinnett, which is obviously not going to cut it. And then Schuster, I think he might be able to survive as a fifth starter on a bad team, which is probably what opportunity he's going to get with the White Sox next year. But he just doesn't have the stuff to get big league hitters out more than one time through the lineup. So I think the name value is obviously high. I think there's Anytime those names come across, these are not 17-year-old international free agents who we may never hear from or six years away from the major leagues. So naturally, the reaction was going to be high and prominent for a deal like this. And then for Aaron Bummer, while he may not be a household name, there are a lot of things to his pitch mix and repertoire that it's clear to see why the Braves were interested. Absolutely. And, you know, the thing is, Scott, is that when it comes to Alex Anthopoulos, you know, I know that it was released, I believe, last week talking about how the Braves over however many of the past years had had far and away done better than any major league squad, any other major league squad, when it came to the value that they got back in trades compared to the value that they traded. Well, the thing about the position that the Braves are in is that you don't have to win every trade. The point is, is you getting the value that you want. We know that Alex Anthopoulos loves having strong bullpens. We know the Braves have a track record of getting guys who had success in the past, but recently struggled. They bring them into Atlanta. They do well. Pierce Johnson is the latest example of that. Aaron Bummer certainly seems to be that type of pitcher. But the point that I'm getting at is, is that there's a very good chance that one or two of these players that the White Sox got could do better for them than they did in Atlanta. But it's because they'll have the opportunity there. They may have better success, as you mentioned, on a bad team than in a setup with a team like the Braves trying to contend. But at the end of the day, the value for the Braves is getting value for players you were going to release from your franchise anyway, likely later today, and you also clear up room on your 40-man roster for other potential moves in the offseason. So the value is there. It may just not be in the most traditional sense that people usually use to gouge trades. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And I think with trades, it's the quantity versus quality decision. And while I'm not knocking any of the players the Braves sent, I think Nicky Lopez is a valuable utility infielder. We will all root for Soroka and hope that he's able to come back and, and regain the command that made him so successful early. You go on and on down the list. But as I mentioned a little while ago, it's not hard to see why the Braves were interested in Aaron Bummer. 
you can take a quick look at his the back of his baseball card, if you will, and see a 6.79 ERA last season, which is very high, very, very high. But then you do any kind of digging a little bit deeper and you see that he was brutally unlucky. He was in a terrible situation with the White Sox where you had players and front office execs openly criticizing the way that the organization is run and the lack of structure you go from maybe the worst situation in the majors to one of the best, if not the best, in Atlanta. And for Bummer, a 6.79 ERA, but all of his underlying metrics were really strong. A 3.53 expected ERA, his FIP and his ex-FIP are right along in with that. And over the last couple of seasons, he has been as good as any lefty reliever in the game. Uh, going back to 2021, a 3.51 ERA. 2022, a 2.36 ERA, and his underlying metrics suggest that he is a genuinely good option from the left side. He, of course, now joins a pretty deep bullpen mix with Iglesias, Minter, Jimenez, Johnson, right? Like he is not going to be necessarily called upon to work the ninth inning or the eighth inning by any means. And if you're the Braves, you see what you can do. He has had some walk issues in the past. Perhaps they can adjust him and and improve his command a bit, just like they did with Pierce Johnson, as you just said. But it's an arm worth taking a chance on. And for five and a half million bucks this season, and then two club options, which are very valuable for 2025 and 2026, it's not hard to see why the Braves are buying low, especially if they were just a day away from non-tendering Soroka and Lopez and getting nothing in exchange for them. Absolutely, and, and and Aaron Bummer, to to your point, is he he's just a fun profile to look at to go along, you know, with the overall metrics that you looked at, you know, over the past, you know, from two thousand from twenty twenty through twenty twenty two, he had a ground ball percentage between sixty three percent and seventy six percent. Since twenty twenty, he's averaged over ten strikeouts per nine innings. It seems like that his basic approach is this guy is that he's going to walk people a 4.5 or higher walks allowed per nine inning rate. But with his strikeout potential, as well as the ground ball potential, he may walk a batter frequently, but he has a good repertoire to overcome it and be able to get it taken care of. A big thing that kind of hurt him was that his left on base percentage just fell quite a bit. So you've got a lot to work with, a lot of positive regression, likely, when it comes to Aaron Bummer. But Scott, the other thing that stands out about getting Aaron Bummer is now the Braves, their bullpen, I don't want to say balanced so far because you got to see the production there, but you've now got coming into 2024, Tyler Matzik, as well as A.J. Minter, hopefully Dylan Lee is healthy, and Aaron Bummer. You, of course, see the acquisition of Bummer while they did it because Matzik and Lee, you're hoping, are healthy. And then Rysel Iglesias, Pierce Johnson, Joe Jimenez, Nick Anderson. That is eight deep as a bullpen. You know, it remains to be seen whether all of them are going to be their opening day. But the Braves, once again, have a very strong bullpen, a balanced, talented bullpen. But the big key, Scott, they've also got this bullpen in place now for multiple years to come. Yeah, and as we know, relievers are a very volatile bunch. They can have a great year, and then they aren't as good, and vice versa. You know, I think with Bummer, what's interesting about him is he has been highly durable the last, really throughout his whole career, since he came up to the majors. Um, he did have a couple of injuries in 2022, but going back to 2019, his last four full seasons, he's pitched in 58 games, 62 games, 32 games, and then 61 games this past year, 
through 58 and a third innings. So he has largely been durable, which is encouraging. And I think a reason the Braves were, were likely interested in Bummer was you think about the left-handed mix. A.J. Minter is awesome. You feel great about him whenever he is healthy. But then you have Tyler Matzik coming back from Tommy John, which is no guarantee by any means. And, and then Dylan Lee is trying to navigate this ongoing shoulder issue, which is pretty scary for pitchers. Uh, shoulder injuries can linger. They can pop up. Uh, so let's hope that in a perfect world, the Braves are going to have four elite left-handed relievers next year with, with Minter, Lee, Matzik, and Bummer. But the fact is you can probably bank on one of those guys not having the season that you're hoping for. And then you at least have three other options to help navigate. And, and you mentioned the strikeout and the ground ball rate for Bummer. That is gold for relievers, right? Keep the ball on the ground. Sure, you might run into a bad night where teams just hit a bunch of ground balls to nowhere and you get unlucky, but he doesn't give up a ton of home runs and has one of the highest swing and miss rates in the majors. You know, that's something that is very, very valuable, especially in September and October. If you can strike guys out and, and just not allow contact at all, it gives you such an advantage in the later innings. Again, Bummer is not a perfect reliever by any means. If he was, the Braves wouldn't have been able to get him for this, this package they gave up. But I think the Braves clearly are banking on his talent and fixing up a couple of things and hoping that they're going to add a really, a, just a genuine weapon to the left side of that mix. So, Scott, obviously this, this is a trade that, you know, it takes a little bit of time to dive into it to really see why it makes sense for Atlanta. And, and when you when you dive into it, you start to get it. But the other side of things is this, is that talking about the package that the Braves got up and just how quickly the perception of value can change. Without a doubt, the most valuable player I think that anybody would have an opinion of with this trade that Atlanta gave up was Nicky Lopez, who they got for Taylor Hearn at the trade deadline last year. Taylor Hearn was claimed off waivers made an appearance for us, was traded within a week later for Nicky Lopez, and now Nicky Lopez is the best player in a deal where the Braves are sending five players elsewhere. This deal includes Jared Schuster, Braden Shoemake, and Michael Soroka. What I'm getting at is it, it, it's just very interesting, and we know it's because of the fact that they're older prospects with another year of not playing well, but really when it comes to Soroka and to a lesser extent Schuster and Shoemake, this also is the Braves kind of moving on from some of those older prospects that just prove that they likely do not have a long-term significant value set up in the majors. I think the Braves were wise to move on from them to not only open up roster spots on the major league roster, but open up opportunities at the minor league level for younger prospects. Yeah, and I think while all eyes were on the shortstop battle a year ago in spring training between Shoemake, Von Grissom, and Orlando Arcia, who of course ultimately won the job, you know, Shoemake really did fade in, in the eyes of the organization over the last year. I mentioned a 700 OPS as a 25-year-old in AAA. That's just not going to cut it. The, the defense is pretty good, sure, but not to the level of a major league regular he might be able to stick as a backup utility guy for the White Sox, who are probably going to lose 100 games next season if they trade away some of their bigger pieces here. And then Schuster, I mean, there are a million Jared Schusters around the majors and minors, a guy who is not terrible by any means. He obviously has gotten to the highest level of the minors, had an opportunity to pitch a few times with Atlanta, 
But even in the games where he didn't give up a bunch of runs, it felt like smoke and mirrors, a lot of hard contact. There was a start he made. I forget who he was facing, but I swear that in the first four innings, I think six baseballs were hit to the warning track and they just happened to be caught. You know, that's just not sustainable. He had the home run issue. He doesn't have a lot of swing and miss to his game. Uh, so you let those guys go. And and for Nicky Lopez, again, I think he's a valuable player. I would have loved to have kept him on the roster. I, I feel like short of injury, though, what was his role next season? With he He's not going to DH. And unless Arcia or Albies or maybe Austin Riley get hurt, he's going to be sitting on the bench collecting $4 million. So I, I understand why the Braves were going to non-tender and, of course, then trade him. And then for Soroka, as we have talked about ad nauseum, you just hope that his health cooperates. But without the minor league options, I, I guess I don't fault or blame the Braves for moving on. And, and now Mike gets a chance to pitch every fifth day in Chicago. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Absolutely. And it's all about opportunity. And, and at the end of the day, I think that that's what matters for this. A, a fun story, Scott, I don't know if you saw it, but, you know, Mark Bowman, you know, just uh, I believe it was. Yeah, it was Thursday. It was just yesterday. Mark Bowman wrote about how he felt that Nicky Lopez made sense for the Braves to keep, even if his pr- projected four million dollar salary. And Nicky Lopez actually thanked Mark Bowman on X formerly Twitter, for the support. And then another person commented on it, and, and I believe that Nikki mentioned that he's getting married today, I believe. So that's oh, crazy man. that he got traded. I may be wrong. Maybe it's next Friday. But if, if he got traded last night and then he's getting married today, quite a 24 hours for Nikki Lopez. But also him replying to Bowman and the value that he offered defensively for a team like the Braves that struggled defensively. You, you see, it's hard to see that value um, move on. But Scott, now let's shift the fact that the trade has happened 
to what it potentially sets up for the rest of the offseason. Because you do have some other decisions to make. I likely think the Braves are going to tender contracts to most of their remaining decisions at today's deadline, which is at 8 Eastern, 7 Central. But you also have the fact that the Braves have three open roster spots to play with now. And they do have a couple of other roster spots, a couple of injured relievers they could easily move on from. But I think that's what may be the most exciting aspect of all this, Scott, is we now could see the Braves potentially make some significant moves in multiple areas. What first stands out to you with the fact that they cleared so many 40-man roster spots in addition to a couple of non-tender candidates? Yeah, it certainly gives them options. Um, It's clear the Braves have been aggressive, as has been Alex Anthopoulos' MO during his tenure, signing the handful of relievers very early on before the offseason even started, picking up Charlie Morton's option as well. So he's working aggressively to fill these holes. Uh, Based on some reporting earlier in the week, it seems very likely the Braves are going to be involved in the starting pitching market, which I think most folks would wholly endorse. We, We like Charlie Morton, but at 40 years old, I think you need another arm in the middle of that rotation. So there is a pretty healthy starting pitching market in the free agency. There's also trades. I mean, Yes, they did just give up a handful of options in this deal, but they have kept intact the handful of prospects who are on the higher end of the prospect scale. And then left field is a real question. We will see the opposite of the free agent market for pitchers. The left field market in free agency is not the greatest. There are some interesting names, perhaps a reunion even with a Jorge Soler or a Jock Peterson could be an option. And then with trades, you have 29 other teams who you could make a phone call to. And because it's left field, most outfielders tend to be pretty versatile. You could, of course, not only look for a left fielder, but if there is a right fielder who is of interest, you could trade for him and then move him to left field. So that's clearly the two big spots. I would be surprised at this point if they do anything else of note with the bullpen. They just don't really have the spots at this point. They also have quite a bit of money tied up in that that unit uh, with the signings and now the trade. But clearly, starting pitching and left field is very much the priority. They have opened up a few spots on the 40-man. And, you know, again, we talked about the roster crunch and the non-tender candidates who were traded. I think the likelihood was that if the Braves made a trade, let's say they made a trade tomorrow for a left fielder but hadn't acquired Bummer, I tend to think that Braden Shoemake was going to be one of the first players designated for assignment to make room or a Jared Schuster. Right. So again, these are guys who I don't think the Braves really had in their plans at all for 2024. And the fact that you're able to take a flyer on a talented lefty reliever instead of just letting these guys go to free agency and get nothing for them, it really does make sense from a a front office standpoint. Absolutely. And Scott, we talked before the podcast and uh, me, me and you both kind of brought up perspectives uh, on, on, on the same point. You know, I had mentioned that, um, Alex Anthopoulos has a tendency to when he strikes a deal, when you see this many players that were involved in this trade, you have to think with the fact that the White Sox are looking to rebuild. And you also have to think with the fact that they've got some more significant pieces that truly would make sense for a contender. Maybe some other conversations happen. We just talked about the Braves could go the trade route. Well, Alex Anthopoulos in the past has let one deal with the team lead to a potentially bigger deal over time. 
maybe we could see that with, you know, potentially the Braves going after Dylan Cease if the White Sox make him available. But you also brought up another point about, you know, Alex Anthopoulos' trading history. It looks like that while this deal was done with the White Sox, maybe this isn't the only deal that they could discuss this offseason, for instance, if Dylan Cease is made available. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, last week was the the general manager meetings and we have the winter meetings in a couple of weeks as well. So I am sure that a wide range of players were discussed in a deal like this one for Bummer. Of course, I, I would think the reason this deal got done at midnight on Thursday evening was because there was that hard deadline of the non-tender decision. So there was a bit of of a external force pushing through this deal but you're absolutely right. I mean, Dylan sees very talented right-handed pitcher. Uh, the Braves and basically every other contender in the sport would be interested in acquiring him. They have Eloy Jimenez. They have a handful of other talented players who seem very likely. I mean, the White Sox don't only need to rebuild. They need to do like an organizational rebuild with some of the almost cancerous tendencies that that group has. So, I'm sure other names came up. I, it sounds like Alex has been working the phones aggressively across the league. Of course, you you can never predict when these things happen. Sometimes they happen at midnight into the second week of the offseason. Maybe it's next week we get a deal. Maybe it's not until January or February. But clearly when the Braves have two pretty big holes to fill with a starting pitcher and a left fielder, um, you know, I, I think Anthopolis is going to be aggressive and do what he needs to do to add players. He has earned a lot of the benefit of the doubt based on his five or six years running the club. And uh, we'll see. But yeah, I mean, if if it's the if it's the first baby step towards a Dylan C's move or, or some kind of high profile addition, uh, I'd be all for it. I think this team quite clearly is in the middle of a World Series run. And if they can add some high impact talent to support what they already have in place, then I'm all for it. And, and and also, you know, the fact that we've seen this trend from Alex Anthopoulos before, he looks to establish relationships with teams that are looking for that multi-year rebuild. Look at what it led to with the Oakland Athletics. Look at what it led to at last year's trade deadline with getting Pierce Johnson and Brad Hand. You know, obviously look at now what's there potentially with the White Sox. But shifting back to the Braves, the other thing that stands out to me, Scott, is what potentially does this mean for Vaughn Grissom? Because now if you've traded away Nicky Lopez, as well as Braden Shoemake, the Braves just don't have a ton. I know that there's Luke Waddell, Luke Williams that, that are there, but you don't have just a ton of, of, you know, even remotely certain options in the middle infield depth when it comes to the Braves organization. But of course, Vaughn Grissom is an interesting commodity this offseason. Does he move to left field? Does he become the prize of a trade package? What do you feel with the trade of Lopez and Shoemake? This means for the Braves' middle infield. Is a backup middle infielder that big of a priority? Does Vaughn Grissom now get kept? What are your thoughts on how this impacts the middle of the infield depth for the Braves, and especially Vaughn Grissom? Yeah, I think they almost have to add a utility infielder of some kind now, which again was kind of the surprise I had, I guess, for trading Lopez, but maybe the deal doesn't get done if the Braves don't include Lopez or whatever the circumstance may be. Or maybe they'll try to add a, a utility infielder who, you know, is not going to command $4 million. There are always options out there, but you're right. I mean, they do not have a ton of depth in the middle infield. I have been of the belief with Vaughn Grissom that they are going to trade him at some point this winter. I could be wrong. It's just a hunch. I'm just not sure where Grissom is going to play. 
I'm not sure he has the glove to stick at shortstop. Obviously, you're not moving Ozzie Albies or Austin Riley. And to this point, they have been hesitant to move him to left field. And I think it would be a pretty big gamble to just give him that left field job as a player who has never played it at a professional level and also has very real questions about his long-term ability to hit in the major leagues. He has hit well in the minors for the past couple of years, but uh, quite obviously there are adjustments that have to be made to be a successful big leaguer for 162 games. So my ultimate feeling has been that they are going to use Grissom as the key piece in order to acquire a, a big-time starting pitcher or an impact left fielder, but they do have options. I mean, none of the moves they have made so far through the first couple weeks of the winter have pigeonholed or locked them into anything by any means. So you have that flexibility, and, and we'll see what Anthopolis and the front office ultimately decide to do. Here with Scott Coleman, the Battery Power Podcast. Sean Coleman here. And please forgive me if I sound a little bit under the weather. It's a, a weather change across the nation, it seems, today. So, so dealing with that. Scott, one final thing that I you know want to point out is that you know when it comes to off-season moves that the Braves are looking to make. You know, the Braves have a, a final season in 2024 with the main cog of their bullpen at A.J. Minter and a main cog of their rotation in Max Freed. Now, I'll be honest, I know a lot's been talked about with Max Freed. I don't think that it's it, it, there's a, a good chance, or I don't think there's a big chance that he gets a deal done within the next year. He'll test free agency. But something that hasn't really been discussed that much and the fact that the Braves now have Aaron Bummer, Dylan Lee, and Tyler Matzek, I all think under control potentially beyond next year. The fact is, is that the Braves may, you know, be indicating they may not, you know, really put a high priority on striking a deal with AJ Minter. But just your thoughts on the the current one last year with the Braves for both Minter and Freed, what this Bummer mean could mean for Minter, but also how big of a priority it is to potentially find an option that can help in 24, but also potentially look to replace Freed in time if they don't retain him past 2024. Your thoughts on how that, their one year left with the Braves, plays in the decisions that the Braves make when it comes to long-term pitching ads this offseason. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a good point that you bring up with Minter. I Admittedly, I hadn't really thought about that too much either. Uh, you know, if we will see. I, it, by all accounts, Minter and the Braves have a good relationship. He has been so, so good, even if not in the closer role that gets all the national attention. He has been just dominant from that left side for really his whole career. He had one down season where he was injured, had the shoulder problem, and just was never the same. But that's a couple of years now at this point. And I mean, he is up there. If you look at like a leaderboard of who leads relievers in war over the last four or five years, A.J. Minter is near the very top, and everybody around him has been truly elite. Um, so I don't know what, what his future holds. He is deserving of a significant raise and a multi-year extension. He might also want to be in a situation where he can go out and be a closer every day. And as long as the Braves have Iglesias and he's pitching well for two more seasons, he is very likely going to be that guy in the ninth inning. So we'll see. But you're absolutely right, because Bummer has those options for the two years beyond this upcoming season, he is another left-handed weapon who you could factor in late in the inning if you are, you know, things go as well as you're hoping for. And then with Max Freed, uh, you know, Brad and I talked about him a little bit on last Sunday's show. You know, I think the fact that Max has not signed an extension as all of his teammates have signed a deal, and now he's coming off this season where he just wasn't very healthy. 
right? Like he, he was hurt for the middle months of the year. He just never found his footing. He had the late season blister as well. So he didn't get to fully establish himself and pitch deep into October. There's really no incentive that I see anyway for Max to sign a deal. I think it's in his best interest personally to go out and try to make 30 starts next season and have one of his spectacular years because he would be signing on the low end right now. That being said, things change. He and his agent and the Braves might come together and maybe a deal gets worked out tomorrow and we all look back and laugh on this conversation. But it just feels to me like Max is going to head to free agency. That doesn't guarantee that he won't come back to the Braves, but then you open it up to 29 other teams. He is a West Coast guy. We'll see what his future holds. But in the interim, you just hope that he's able to have a healthy 2024 and and get back to being the max free that he's been in recent years because that is one of the best pitchers in the league. Uh, But at the same time, that also means he's likely going to get a very, very big payday and it just may not ultimately work out long term. Absolutely. And that's what makes this the biggest thing for me about this trade is that, yes, it's exciting to think about. No, it's it's sad to see Soroka and others go. It's exciting that the fact that the Braves have as deep as a bullpen that they have over the next few years. But the even bigger thing, Scott, for me is uh, is that the options, this opens up a lot of different options that you could see the Braves do, potentially bringing in a significant hitter and pitcher. You know, in addition to what they have, we'll certainly see where the Braves decide to pivot as the offseason goes along. Now, Scott, uh, any five... First thoughts on Ronald Acuna Jr. winning the MVP. I'll respect the fact that you probably want to give a lot of those on the Battery Power podcast. But any thoughts on his MVP win being unanimous last night? And also just anything else that you would like uh, to let the audience know about, you know, as we get into Thanksgiving, but also, you know, the really, you know, big activity weeks coming ahead in the MLB offseason. Yeah, I think with Ronald, I was... I mean, I I thought he was going to win the award, but I did not think it was going to be unanimous Uh, with all of the back and forth in August and September with Mookie Betts, who was a very deserving candidate as well. But the fact that it was unanimous, I believe it was the first time in history that both uh, MVP winners from the AL and the NL were unanimous with Ronald and Shohei Otani. So that was really cool. Uh, Not only was it unanimous, but then the second place votes, all 30 went to Mookie Betts, which is just kind of a funny quirk, uh, but incredibly deserving for Ronald Acuna Jr. Such a special and historic season. He actually uh, hit a home run on Thursday night. He's playing in the Venezuelan League. I I don't know if you caught that clip, but very appropriate for Ronald to to hit a homer on the night that he wins MVP. Um, So very exciting, very happy for Ronald. He had a really nice... Uh, post on social media as well thanking the fans and just uh just a special special talent um but yeah as you teed up sean thank you for for shouting out the battery power podcast brad and i will do one on sunday evening no shortage of things to talk about as we get into the holidays of course anytime there's an emergency podcast that is warranted we will do that on this very feed so please tell a friend subscribe download give us a five-star rating if you like what we're talking about it really helps us out And uh, hopefully, Sean, we're able to do one of these again soon. Yeah, I I don't know if the Aaron Bummer emergency podcast will do as well as the the future emergency Shohei Otani emergency podcast, but we'll see. I'm completely kidding, obviously. I would happily do. uh, I would happily. His free agency, by the way, not to cut you off, Sean. No, you're fine. His free agency is going to be fascinating. He is an incredibly reserved and quiet person. 
Um, I had some, I have a friend who works in the angels front office or used to work in the front office. He is a different kind of dude. So I am fascinated to see how everything goes. It feels like it's going to be one where there is like no reporting. And then a team announces it. Uh, he is not someone who is going to want to have everything dragged across the media for weeks on end. So that is going to be a fascinating free agency to watch. Absolutely. There were, you know, and, and not, I don't know, you know, how reliable the sources are, but even over the past 24 hours since he won MVP, there have been rumblings that, you know, he wants to take secret free agent visits. But if it's revealed that his free agent visit, you know, if it's if the free agent visit with the team is revealed to be public, he's not going to be too happy. So, you know, yeah, it, it, to your point, I think others, you know, not necessarily in a negative sense, but they've just had the opinion that he's very particular, very structured about how he wants stuff to be handled when it comes to him in relation with the team, what have you. So I agree with you hundred percent. And not only that, you know, rumors of, you know, could he sign short term for a high AAV or does he go long term and get 500 million? It's going to be one of the more fascinating free agencies that we've seen in a while. But Scott, can't thank you enough. Hope you have a great start to the weekend. Stick with us for just a second afterwards. But it was great talking to you once again, sir. Thanks, Sean. Take care of yourself, buddy. Congratulations to you and the family on the new edition. So happy for you guys. And uh, this was a lot of fun. I'm sure we'll be back soon. Absolutely. His name is Scott Coleman. My name is Sean Coleman. Not, but for the, this edition of the Emergency Podcast, thank you so much for joining us. You can find the Battery Power Podcast, the podcast to be named later, and the Daily Hammer all at BatteryPower.com, at Battery Power SBN, across all forms of social media, and free on all podcast platforms. My name is Sean Coleman. For Scott Coleman, you can find me at StatsSAC, him at ScottColeman55, on X, Twitter, what have you. We'll talk to you again soon here on the Battery Power Podcast Network.